All right, last week we launched a new series, Lessons in Greatness. The premise we started with is that everybody wants to make a difference, right? Everybody wants to, to matter to somebody, somebody in this life. And we find out that this urge, this longing um, is a gift from God to us, right? This is what drives us to do the things that He calls us to do. Um, at every stage in life, from the playground to the final days, we are... We're concerned. We, we're uh, not overly, but, but we are. It's, it's, a, it's a concern on, on all of our hearts as we move through our years. Have we made a difference? Are we, are we just taking up space on this planet? I remember I, I like this phrase. Um, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Uh, it was just kind of a phrase. I don't know where I picked it up, but I, it, it always struck me um, as something maybe important. <laughs> I don't know. And, and again, more than likely, it was somebody in your life, some ordinary person. They weren't great in the eyes of the world, but in your world, they were huge, right? They just made such an impact in your life, and you decided, I want to be like that to somebody else further on down the line. Um, and so we're summing up this, this crucial element of the teaching of Jesus, and we arrive at what's called well, the greatness principle. Uh, and again, Scripture never uses the phrase that I'm about to share. We shared with you last week. Um, it's just a phrase that, that describes what the Old Testament taught and what Jesus taught his disciples. It's, it's the greatness principle. When you bless others, God blesses you, right? And Scripture is so clear on this. He wants to bless others through us and with us, right? With whatever he's given us and, and, and through just us, he wants to bless other people. Um, but when we choose other life principles to build our lives around, we, we thwart what he does. It's not like he like, fine, if you don't play, I'm not going to play long. It's like we literally bind his hands, right? We stop, we, we clog up what he wants to do, he, and, and what he always wants to do. He always wants to bless. That's what he does. He blesses. He just blesses, blesses, and blesses people. So today, it makes sense if we're going to want to bless people because we want God to bless us and, and that circle just to keep going and keep going and keep going until finally justice is served, right? And, and mercy isn't needed because perfect justice has been served. That's, that's kind of where we're, we're, we're trying to get to. Um, but there's one problem, one real, real big problem. Maybe you haven't heard of this problem. It's the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. <laughs> You're like, sweet, he finally got to the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. I've been waiting forever for this. Let me give you an example of, of what this is. My daughter, Amanda, when she was little, when we only had three of us before we got Brittany. And the dogs. So there's like three of us. And in her little mind, I mean, you see this happen as little kids learn about the world around them. They start making connections. And so in her little world, there was mommy... Daddy, mommy, and, and baby, big, medium, small. And so she began to make connections in her world, right? And she began to notice threes in everything, big, medium, and small. And she was very excitedly one morning. She calls me into the bathroom, and she points in the toilet, look, Dad, Daddy poop, Mommy poop, baby poop. I'm like, now, now here's the deal, here's the deal. I would never have noticed this amazing pattern of three in our world, but from then on, it's all I could see. Right? Kind of like Amanda. She learned something new and her brain said, hey, check it out. There's a lot of this everywhere. And I begin to notice, right? And really what this is, this is nothing more than the Bader-Meinhof. And it's the name given to what's called frequency bias. Right? And what we just, the, the poops illustration, I probably could have come up with a better one. Um, it, this is what's called re, the recency illusion. And the recency illusion says the belief that things that you have noticed only recently are in fact recent, but the fact of the matter is they've been there all along. Right? It's just that you finally noticed it 
And once you noticed it, you notice it a lot. And then there's the frequency illusion that's part of frequency bias, right? And this is the belief that once you've noticed a phenomenon, right, you think it happens a whole lot more than it really does, but it didn't change. It remained absolutely constant, but your awareness changed, right? So thinking about the red car that you went out and bought thinking, I'm going to have a unique color. And lo and behold, the day you go out and buy it, you wake up the next morning and everyone you know went out and bought a red car, right? Like how did they, right? How? It's not, no, nobody went out and bought red cars last night. It's just that your brain, now that you've locked onto red cars, you see red cars everywhere, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. You go buy a dress and you go to the function, there's 12 women wearing that dress. <laughs> you thought it was, okay, so y'all know what I mean. Um, so this, this, this Bader-Meinhof phenomenon or, or frequency bias is simply when your awareness of something increases. That's it. Um, Bader-Meinhof, you might have heard that term before. It was actually a, a West German terrorist group. So the best that I could figure out this week in my time, it wasn't a thousand years, it was six days, um, I figured out that apparently these scientists at Stanford were sitting around one day discussing this phenomenon, and somebody mentioned the Bader-Meinhof gang, and the next day one of the researchers came back and said, oh my goodness, I saw Bader-Meinhof like 12 times in the news, and I hadn't even heard of the word before this, so it got the name. It has nothing to do with the East West German terrorist group, just to let you know. Now, I bring all this up because there's two consequences to this phenomenon that we need to pay attention to that Scripture talks directly to, and this can kind of add into that just a little bit. The, the, the first consequence is a negative one, right? Um, this is where it leads you to believe that something is happening more when, in fact, that's not the case. And so if you're a scientist, you know this. This is why you do double-blind tests, right, because you have bias, you want the research to result in what you hope it will result in, so you, your brain is kind of cheating on you just a little bit. And so you have a double blind. You don't know who gets the placebo, neither does your audience. The, the subjects, they don't know who gets the placebo, so there's no any kind of effect that can any kind of a bias, right? It, it, and, then the, and then the other one, we see it a lot, and I, I, I brought this up in a film, Social Dilemma. Um, the, the frequency bias has two parts. One is selective attention, right? You, you notice things that you're interested in and you agree with, right? News, news items, whatever. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. So you got your selective attention. Then added to that is confirmation bias where everything else that you bring in, whatever else the world is throwing at you, your brain literally shuts out what you don't agree with and lets in what you do agree with. So you end up with your little bubble, right? You're in your little information bubble and everyone who's not in your bubble appears to be an idiot, Right? Because they're not listening to your, they got their own bubble going on and they've heard a whole bunch of stuff and they think you're an idiot. And we've got this world, we're all in our bubbles. And we don't hear what anybody else is saying. This is, this is that, that frequency illusion. Right? Now, the good thing, the good consequences, those are negative consequences. The good consequences, you finally begin to notice things that were there all along. Right? So imagine you have a doctor. Two doctors, one good, one bad. And they both read the, this brand new article about this brand new disease that they finally figured out. And the one doctor who's not that great of a doctor, lo and behold, the next seven patients, guess what they have? <laughs> that rare disease, right? Because he just, he, but the wise doctor, and this is documented, once he found out, he kind of went into the cold cases and he found out ding, 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 and ding. I figured out what's wrong. I finally noticed what nobody else noticed. It was there all along. But finally, finally, 
I caught something, and now I'm seeing it everywhere. So that, that's a beautiful thing, and that's kind of what I want to pick up on um, this morning. And again, I bring this all to point out that your brains, in their natural state, um, work against you. If you're trying to find people to bless, your brain is literally working against you, right? Searching for ways to bless others because your brain is so incredibly busy. Your brain takes in so much. There's so much things going on in this world, right? You're exposed to so much. It's impossible to soak in every detail, right? So your brain has the job of deciding what to allow in and what to not allow in. And it does that without you knowing it, right? It doesn't even ask you. It's just super, super, super efficient, Right? Anything that's not going to be helpful, that's not going to be needed immediately, it just doesn't see. Right? So you helping that person down the street isn't going to help you eat, drink, or live better. So your brain kind of <clears throat> doesn't let you see the need because it's focused on the number one need, you. And again, your brain easily ignores this information every day. But when you're exposed to brand new information... Your brain takes notice, especially if you're interested in it, right? If some of you, if you've discovered something, I do this all, it drives my wife nuts. I'll discover something new. I'll watch Nova. I'll watch something. I just want to, I want to go for a walk and I want to talk about this because I want to share it so badly because um, I'm interested in it. And then I see it everywhere. I was like, Diane, you notice that? It's like, shut up, Jerry. See, these are the details that are going to potentially be important. So your brain keeps them front and center for a little while. And again, here's where the biter, bader meinhof phenomenon and what Jesus taught about greatness, what the two have in common is this. We have to choose. We have to consciously choose to become aware of the needs that surround us every day. Otherwise, they just become invisible. They slip right by. The day is gone. Yesterday is gone. Whatever you saw, you can't address. It's gone unseen, unnoticed, invisible kind of in a way, right? They're there, but we're just not looking. We don't have eyes yet that see. And again, unless you have a real interest in it, you simply won't see it. Your brain won't let you see it. And again, sometimes we beat ourselves up on this. Why, why can't we be like the New Testament church? Right? They gave of their wealth to help others, and they were all glad, and thousands you know what, that, that, that's one little piece of Scripture. That's a few verses at the end of, a, what, chapter 2 of Acts. But if you read every one of his letters, you've got to quickly arrive at the fact that the churches, they're no better than we are. There's no, they're no worse than the worst of us. They're no better than the best of us, right? Every single letter, he has to remind them over and over again. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm, I'm doing the, the, the message version for just this one right here, okay? Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Now, I chose the message version because when you look at the new NIV version, it, it, doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't stay true to what I believe the Scripture is trying to say. And it divides up. It, it, it makes it an either-or kind of thing. You either take care of yourself or you take care of others. And that's really not what Scripture is about. You, you need to take care of yourself. Jesus took care of himself. He rested. He got away from the crowds, right? He, he, he had to because he had a task to do. The fact of the matter is, look in Scripture. Jesus is never looking for martyrs. He's never looking for martyrs. He's looking for living sacrifices, not dead ones. So if you're thinking, I'm going, to go out and, I'm going to go out and get infected for God, he doesn't want you to do that. You're no good if you get infected and you're dead. <sighs> Come on. All right. 
Get a little excited there. Now, notice, working honestly to get to the top isn't negated. It isn't discouraged. It's just how you go about it, right? Serving yourself, but, but you need to be also serving others as you would like to be served. It continues, don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand, right? Get ahead, but don't cheese yourself to the top, right? Fight for your own, but don't obsess about your own. That makes sense? There's a healthy balance what he's driving at here. And, and, and again, in, in one situation, you're going to have to put your needs, they're going to have to go away completely. And in other situations, your needs are going to come to the forefront. They just will. Don't, don't, don't ignore your own needs. Different times of the day, different times of the week, it, it will change. It will change. All right? The key point is here. We get focused on ourselves and we forget, and it's natural. That's the way our brains kind of work. And that's why Paul had to remind us so often in his letters. And why uh, Moses, you, know, you read the book of Deuteronomy, it's basically one long book of remember, 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 remember. And why Jesus, what we're going to do at the end of our service today, we're going to share communion. That was Jesus saying, don't forget, because you will, you will so I want you to do this thing that we're going to do at the end of the service. And I just want to tell you right now, if you have that in your hand, you might want to get it ready because sometimes it's very difficult. And Okay, anyway. So our brains are working against us, right? And that's, what, that's why we're reminded so much in Scripture. But the good news is that we can teach our brains to see what we want them to see and what God wants them to see. Listen, this is in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, just very quickly, conform means to... You know, uh, to base your life on the patterns of others. Remember, we looked at this a week or two ago where if we're not conscious about the, 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 the principle that we're going to center our lives around, we by default live by the principles of those around us. This, don't, don't conform. Don't, don't do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to act like everybody else around you. That first part of that sentence. But be transformed. Again, transformed is different than conformed. Conformed is you're acting apart. You're trying to mirror somebody, but being transformed is you actually change your form. You become, like there's no more acting, you have become. So be transformed so it's possible. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But only when your eyes have been opened, right, the scales will fall. And because you've decided to become aware, suddenly all around you, Right? You're going to find this out. Maybe some of you have already found this out. As soon as you've decided to become aware, you find needs all over the place. Right? You find out that your coworker needs to confide in you. You find out that you can make your loved one's life a little bit easier. Right? The person you're married to or you're sharing a house with. I mean, there's opportunities to encourage others all over the place if we just notice, if we take the time to notice. So I want to share some scripture with you this morning that used to make me feel really guilty Right? And now, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, as I look at it, this past week has made me feel very ashamed. Not guilty, but ashamed. And that, that was a, a huge jump. Um, and, and it's maybe because I never, and again, you're going to have to ask yourselves this. As I read this passage, I don't think I ever went, took the effort to see what God wants me to see. Right? I was, I was like, God, just, just show me. All right? And it's a tough, tough passage. Um, as I begin to think about it, it's like, ah. And then an article I'd recently read, and I tried to find out where it was. I couldn't find it. Um, but this writer says that what we do 
you know what rubbernecking is, right? Right? As you drive by, you see an accident, and we all rubberneck. And he, and he, and he, he was trying to make the point that we, this is a problem that we have. We rubberneck, um, but and he suggests, the writer of the article suggests that if a person in the accident made eye contact with us, we'd, we'd quickly hit the accelerator and probably drive on. Because we're, we're interested, we want, to, we want to vicariously experience pain, but we don't, we, we don't want to get too close to it because it might touch us, it might infect us. Right? It's like, ugh. Right? You see the homeless person on the, counter, on the corner, you look at him, you look at him until you get about the second car, right? And then you don't make eye contact with him. Come on now, be honest, unless you're decided, I'm going to be aware of his need. You don't want to make eye contact with him. And I, and I, and I read this article, I started thinking about the Good Samaritan in the first two, and I just wonder... Right? They're walking. Like, we're in a car, so we've got some distance, but they're walking, and I just wonder if they're like, oh, he looked at me. <laughs> I was, it was interesting. It caught my attention, the human condition, human drama, but I don't want to enter it. I got my own drama. Ah, look away, look away, look away really fast. So again, this passage isn't an indictment. It's not anything to make you feel guilty about. It's just like a self-check, right? A gut check. Um, and... and I'll just tell you right now, this, this passage I'm about to read isn't to you as individuals, it's to you as a body. It, it's to you as the body who believes in Christ. So kind of hear it. Matthew chapter 25, verses 32 and 33. All the nations will be gathered before him, Christ, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now before I go any further, I want to make sure we're clear on our identification of what the sheep are and what the goats are. Um, because then it becomes, well, it will become way more clear when we realize that Jesus is actually summarizing the prophet Ezekiel. And Jesus is being incredibly gracious where the prophet Ezekiel went into some detail, right? Ezekiel made us feel really bad where Jesus just kind of, I don't know, sometimes leaves me wondering, well, I'm not the bad one in this story. <laughs> it's got to be somebody else. I'm, I'm going to be the sheep. I'm not the goat, right? But then when you look back at Ezekiel, you realize, ooh, Oh, Jesus is just being nice, right? Um, and, and now, in the time of Ezekiel, the sin was this bad, but now with Christ, as we're going to find out, the sin is like so much worse now. Same situation, but so much worse, right? Watch this. Okay, so I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to jump from Matthew 25. I'm going to go back to Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament. Right? And at the beginning of the, the you're going to have to go home and read this, your homework this afternoon. Um, at the beginning of chapter 34, the Lord, through the words of Ezekiel, is blasting the leaders of Israel, right? They've been horrible shepherds. Horrible shepherds, right? His sheep have gone missing, they've gone astray. And the fat cats running the show, they didn't go looking, right? One of them disappeared. Hey, we got 99. Right? And worse than that, they were feeding off the sheep, right? They were getting fat while the sheep were getting skinny. They were getting fat. They were, well, you get the picture. And it's, it's such a, it's a difficult picture, right? So he informs him that he's going to be the new shepherd because they were so bad. This is in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays because you wouldn't. You didn't. You never did. I'll search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and the strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. Now, that sounds kind of strange, but you got to understand that in, in the context, they're, they're, they're sleek and strong because they took advantage of the weak and made them weaker. 
right? So you got weak and strong. It should have been like this, but the strong got here because the weak had to get down to here. And, and that had to be, for them to be here, they had to be here. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now, a key issue that God had with the Israelites is that they didn't care for the poor. And if they didn't care for the poor, they didn't see the poor. Bader-Meinhof thing, right? You only notice what you want to notice. And they didn't notice the poor. No one went out looking. So after he's done with the leaders, he turns to the people, right? And he, it, it's, it's rough. So if you, splash zone, right? If you've ever been to SeaWorld, splash zone. Ezekiel, verse 17. As for you, my little chickadees, <laughs> it says my flock, just in case you're wondering, but little chickadees, it works, right? As for you, my little chickadees, this is what the Lord, sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between the rams and the goats. And immediately you get the idea it's not about sheep and goats, right? It's about people, <laughs> people who give and people who take. That's what it's about. So just kind of stop all the, and I know whole doctrines and theologies are built around the goat and the sheep, and I'm, and I'm sure there's something there, but I don't know what it is. But what I know is like there's two groups of followers. This isn't followers of Jesus and God's people and horrible people who don't love Jesus. This is, this is all God's people, followers here. As for you, my flock, this is what the Lord, sovereign Lord says, I will judge between the one sheep and the other and between the rams and the goats. Isn't it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Right? It, aren't my blessings enough? And literally, it's their pasture. You're going to see that a little bit further on. He's given it to them. He's blessed them with it. And they've that's not good enough for them. They want more. They want more. And for a pastoral people, people who farm, and these words are so vivid, must you also trample the rest of your pasture that I've given you? Right? You, 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 you did your harvesting and you left the corners, but then you went back and you just muddied them up so that the foreigner and the poor person and the sojourners, they don't have anything. Why did you do that? Why were you happy with just going by through it once? Don't go through it again. Don't go stomping through it. Come on. So they're selfish. They're self-centered. Must you also trample the rest of your pastor with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water, but you also muddy the rest with your water? They were so selfish and self-centered, they hoarded. So, that, so they literally destroyed the ability for anyone else to even get enough to eat and drink. While they have the overabundance, there's left with underabundance. So we have generous shepherds, and we have bad shepherds, and we have generous people, and we have not generous people, Right? And basically, this is God's perpetual state of the economy address, right? Throughout Scripture, this is what he says over and over and over and over again through the kings, through the prophets, and now through Emmanuel, God with us. He's making it as clear as he possibly can. Let's go back to his words in Matthew chapter 25. Recorded by Matthew, these are the words of Jesus. Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, here's where it gets, it gets interesting and tragic and, and painful and shameful kind of all at once. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, 
and you looked after me, and I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Now, you notice the shift. In Ezekiel, the, the, the focus is on the poor, the thirsty, the ill-clothed, the sick and imprisoned. Now he's shifted the focus to himself. Why, why is he doing that? He shifts the focus. Now, the audience is as confused as we are. Then the righteous ones will answer, whoa, 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 time out. What, what are you talking about? Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you? When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, needing clothing and clothing you? And when did we see you, sick or in prison, and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The least of these. When you serve, when you choose to suffer, because... When you serve, there is a certain amount of suffering for the other. When you choose to suffer for the least of these, and again, the least of these, I think, involves two categories. One, the poorest of the poor, and the other category is the poorest of the poor that became poor by making really poor choices, right? Where we want to say it's your own fault. But I think this passage is saying, no, you can't even go there. You can't go there. You can't go there because everyone is redeemable. Fat sheep, skinny sheep, we're all redeemable. When you serve, when you suffer for the least greatest, you serve the king. You're serving God. Now, remember what we learned a little bit ago. You know, our overly efficient brains, we're like, we've got to actively choose to become aware. Or opportunities are literally all around us, they just fly by. We don't even see them. We're just not looking. And what both Ezekiel and Jesus are saying is we... We haven't made the conscious decision to go looking, right? We have eyes, but we haven't allowed them to see. We have ears, but we don't want them to hear, right? We got everything we need, but we're not using them to the fullest potential. And that, that Bader-Meinhof, that phenomenon saying, unless you have a real interest in it, you have a true desire, your heart has been engaged, you simply won't see it. Your brain won't let you. Bader-Meinhof phenomenon won't let you see the needs around you. But even then, Jesus is saying at the very least, at the very least, you could have provided food for the hungry, collected need and clothing, or visited a hospital or a prison, right? They're all around you. You don't need Bader-Meinhof to see that, right? This is where it kind of hurts and where he's kind of like, do you see people, what I'm talking about? They're all around you. You don't even need to look, and you didn't see them. They're everywhere. But again, remember, Jesus shifted the conversation from the thirsty and the hungry and the ill-clothed and the, the imprisoned and the sick to himself. And here's what I noticed this week. It appears that followers of Jesus never saw him. How can you be a follower of Jesus and never see Jesus? That appears to be what's going on here. At the very least, they never saw Jesus doing what Jesus does, right? Bringing about mercy and grace and charity and love, wholeness and shalom, which means, which means, follow my logic here. Let me know if I'm going off track here. It means that they were never present to justice and mercy and charity, 
If they never saw Jesus and that's what Jesus is always about, then they must not have ever been around what Jesus is always about and where Jesus always is. We never actively chose, chose, we never actively choose to become aware, which means, again, I'm going to follow along here, we consciously decided to not join in his mission, to suffer for the least of these. We consciously made a decision, I don't want to be up there on the cross with you, Jesus. Thanks, but no thanks. Again, which means, right, we believed in him and what he did. We appropriated and enjoyed what he did for us. But we never condescended to join him. I think that's what this passage is saying. You all want the benefits, but nobody's willing to pay the price that must continue to be paid. You never suffered with me. So you never really suffered for me. How did he say it? He said, if you never did with me, then you never did for me. Our passage is also really, really clear as to what happens if we don't choose to go out and find the lost. Everyone loses. Everyone. We all lose. So we've got to actively choose to become aware. We have to choose to descend to greatness. And again, as we share communion this morning, we're reminded time and time again that Jesus was willing to be broken and to bleed in order to find the lost. And his search took him from heaven to earth further than any of us have ever or will ever go or ever can go to find the lost and the forgotten, the marginalized. And as we prepare Again, to share communion, we're saying that we'll find you. We, we will find you. Wherever you are at home, we'll find you. Listen once more as, as you start getting those cups ready. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 22, 23. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another, and I will place over them one shepherd, my shepherd David, and he will tend them. This is after David, so this is figuratively speaking. Again, this is what caught my attention is bad shepherds will no longer lead God's people astray, right? And instead of punishment, this is what caught my attention, right? God gives us a Savior. Instead of punishment, he gives us a Savior, right? Even fat, selfish sheep are redeemable. <laughs> love this, love this. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So again, in partaking of communion this morning, we're declaring that we will join Jesus in suffering. Right? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, and it's going to say, whenever we do this, we proclaim his death. And we're, we're committing to going out and finding you if you're lost. That's on us. You bow your heads. Father, as we prepare to, to do what you asked us to do repeatedly until you return, and again, I think, I think it's to remind us this is something that we have to deliberately do. We had to show up this morning. We had to prepare bread and prepare juice, and, and wherever we are right now, this, this, is, this is not something that just you threw in our lap. This is something that we have to prepare and, and consciously think about, Father. So this morning, we, we think about this fact that you were broken and bled 
and, and, and communion means we, we're, we're in union with you. We're coming along. We, we're with you. When we partake of this bread and this juice, we're joining in your suffering. Only, only figuratively right now, Lord, but, but the whole idea, Father, is that we would go out and, and in like manner do the same. We would, we would be broken and we would bleed for the lost. So, Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives. We can never repay it. We, we're, our, our thanks, from what I understand it, is in our appropriate response. You loved us, so we now know how to love. We know what it feels like, and we know what it feels like not to have it. And so now we're committing. We're in communion with you, Father. And the task that you gave your son, and he willingly obeyed, even to death on a cross, Father, thank you. Let us never forget that we have to go out and search. People want to be seen, but they're embarrassed. So, Father, help us bridge that gap with with love and grace and mercy and no superiority, no anything like that. Father, thank you. Your son's name I pray.